Beloved, I invite you to open a Bible if you have ones before you. Our reading of Holy Scripture this afternoon comes from Luke chapter 14, the first 14 verses, and then our text will be the immediately following verses, the verses 15 through 24. We read then from the Gospel of Luke, beginning at chapter 14, verse 1. Beloved, hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. Behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited. And he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Then beginning our text for this afternoon's sermon. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. 
Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Thus far, reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, imagine that it's your wedding day and you have sent out invitations by the hundreds. And in response, you've received RSVPs from hundreds of guests who confirm that, yes, they will be there. But on the wedding day itself, no one shows up except the bridal party. I think most of us would agree that such a thing would be considered a disaster. And you would be right to feel betrayed and devastated. So now imagine that you go to your family and friends and you ask them what happened. And you start to receive the most pathetic and outlandish of excuses. I had to have my six-month dental checkup. I had a kid four years ago. He doesn't like it when I leave the house. Or I had to do my taxes. They're due in a couple of months, you know. At this point, you might feel justified in deciding it's time to find some new family and friends. Now, what we'll see in Luke chapter 14, the verses 15 to 24, is something similar. Here, we hear of a great banquet or supper being thrown. But the initial guests don't really care. And so the master of that banquet decides that he'll bring in new guests. He's done with those who have insulted him and turned down his generosity. And so he'll find others who will appreciate all the effort that he has gone to and all the work that he has done. This parable is a reminder of God's mercy and judgment. Reminder that, on the one hand, our God's grace should never be underestimated, but also should not be rejected. Beloved, I proclaim God's word as it comes to us in the parable of the Great Supper using this theme. The Master invites us to attend his great banquet. And we'll see first invitations that are rejected, second invitations accepted, Third, invitations simply being sent out. So first, invitations rejected. Our parable is told in the midst of a prestigious banquet. We're told at the beginning of this chapter that Jesus was dining at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And so his host would have been a man revered in Jewish society. And this is reflected in the guest list as well. We're told that a number of those who were dining with Jesus were lawyers. That's experts in Jewish religious law, like the lawyer we saw this morning. And also Pharisees, men known for a a strict adherence to the law and to oral traditions concerning the law. We're told literally in the Greek that they were reclining at table. They were lying on long couches in a style that was fashionable among the wealthy of that day. So these are men that many of the the common people would often look up to. 
But it appears that this admiration has gone to their heads. Jesus notices, for example, that they sought to sit in the places of honor at the feast. The the places closest to the host. These men wanted to be recognized and honored by others. Something of this attitude comes out in our own text as well. Jesus has just told his host that the next time he gives a banquet, he should invite those who can't repay him in this life. He should invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And wait for God to repay him at the resurrection of the just. And it seems that this makes some of them feel a little awkward. You have one of those who recline at table somewhat blurred out, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now to eat bread points towards eating a meal. To eat bread in the kingdom of God, well that points towards enjoying salvation. This phrase or blessing points towards words which were spoken by the prophet Isaiah. You can read in Isaiah 25 verse 6, And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. The reference to on the lees points to a a wine which is well-aged. This feast is one that's connected to the, the final salvation of God's people. Isaiah 25 continues, And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So because of such passages, it was common in Jesus' day to speak of salvation, of of the promised life to come in terms of a great banquet or supper. Jesus does the same when he responds to that man's blessing by telling a parable. Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Now this Man isn't really described in any detail, but a great supper is something which would have been naturally hosted by a great person. And at the time for this supper, this man says to his servant to say to those who have been invited, come, for all things are now ready. Now, it's important to note that those who are invited should not be surprised when the servant comes around. You see, they've been told in advance to be ready. What's more, they've already accepted a prior invitation. You see, when you were hosting a banquet in ancient times, you would first send out invitations and receive acceptance from your guests. And only once the number of guests is known can a host know how much food to prepare. In particular, how many animals need to be slaughtered or what kind of animals need to be slaughtered. Because the meat was the center point of the banquet. 
You didn't simply hold a party back then and then hope that people would show up to eat the meat. It was important that you only prepared so much so that nothing would go to waste. And only once the, the necessary animals had been slaughtered and prepared would a second invitation go out. And this would let the guests know that everything was ready. Normally at that point, then, the guests would show up and a great meal would be enjoyed by all those who were present. But at this supper, something surprising happens. All the guests alike begin to make excuses. All those who had initially accepted back out. And they do so with the lamest of excuses. Excuses so bad They are effectively insults to the host. One guest said to the servant, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go out and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now we need to understand, no one at that time would buy a piece of land without knowing exactly what it looked like. Indeed, the the very legal contracts of that day required that if you sold a field, you had to include information like any springs that were in the land, wells, the location of stone walls, trees, paths, what kind of rainfall was anticipated, and other factors. Land in the Middle East was limited. And what was suitable for agriculture had already been used for thousands of years. People could tell you who owned a piece of land for generations and what kind of profits that field had produced from since long before you were born. No one casually bought or sold a field, and they certainly didn't do it sight unseen. There's no good reason why this man needs to see this field right now. The workday at this point would have already been over. It would have been getting dark soon. Whatever he needs to see could wait till the morning. No, his excuse is basically an insult toward the host. Another said to the servant, I bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Once again, no one would buy five yoke or teams of oxen and only then examine or test them after the purchase. In the ancient, ancient Middle East, you would most commonly find a small field near to the marketplace. And there, buyers would test drive or test plow, if you will, the oxen to ensure that they would work properly together as a team. Or alternatively, if this wasn't an option, you would invite buyers to come to your field on a certain day so that they could see how the oxen work together. But no one would be so stupid as to buy one yoke of oxen without first seeing them perform, let alone five. Imagine someone is invited to a birthday party, your birthday party. They tell you, sorry, I just bought 10 used cars that I haven't looked at. I really need to go check them out tonight, so I can't come to your party. It's another excuse so weak that it basically amounts to an insult of the host. And still another says, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. 
Now, to be clear, his point is not that he was just married that day. He already accepted a first invitation, after all, which he wouldn't have done if it was his wedding day. And furthermore, it's extremely unlikely that he was married that day because no one hosting a prestigious banquet or supper would schedule it on the same day as a wedding. Normally in a community, you would only have one significant event at a time. So at most, this man would be away from his new wife for a few hours. There's no reason for him to have to stay at home. He could go if he wanted to. Once again, it's basically an insult to the host. So what point is Jesus trying to make? Well, the invited guests of the parable essentially represent the guests who are surrounding Jesus as he's telling the parable. They are the religious elite of the nation, the premier members of God's covenant people, the lawyers and Pharisees, and they have been refusing to come to Christ's banquet of salvation. They accepted the first banquet, or the first invitation to the banquet, so to speak, and being members of the covenant. But when Christ comes in person announcing that the kingdom of God is near, that the banquet of the kingdom is at hand, they refuse to accept him or follow him. So what message is there for us in this parable? Well, we might say that the parable is not in the first place directed at us, but there is a lesson in it which we should heed. For we may be part of God's covenant people in the present. We might say that we have accepted the the first invitation. But it isn't enough to simply be a part of the covenant. We also need to, as individuals, accept that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us. We need to place our hope and trust in him. We need to commit ourselves to living in his service. To seek his kingdom and the banquet which he has in store for those who follow him. Being part of a Christian church does not save us from what we have done. Being a part of a Christian family does not remove the personal responsibility to believe. To think for ourselves, who is Jesus Christ to me? Membership in the covenant is not enough for salvation. We must recognize our covenant obligations as well. We need to each love God with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and place our trust in him alone. The religious elite in Jesus' day rejected the Messiah when he stood before them because they were too wrapped up in themselves. They didn't have time for a Christ who hadn't come to stroke their egos, to tell them about what good daughters and sons of Moses, or sorry, of Abraham, that they had been. He didn't come to make them feel good about themselves or their religious accomplishments. As believers today, we need to be aware of the temptation to get too wrapped up in our own lives and our own concerns. We need to remember at all times that Christ came to call us to lives of service and humility. Not simply to believe, but also to listen to him and follow him. 
We are called in the first place to serve our Lord in heaven and work to advance his kingdom here on earth. This brings us to our second point about invitations accepted. Jesus went on with the parable in Luke 14, verse 21, describing how the servant came and reported the excuses that he received to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. In other words, bring all the people who wouldn't expect to receive an invitation. The sort of people who weren't ordinarily invited to banquets. The sort who had nothing to offer in the eyes of the world. In the ancient world, there was no social safety net. There was little opportunity for those who had little to start with. If you had a major disability, there was usually little that you could do for a living except beg in the streets. In contrast to the guests who don't bother to come, commentators have observed that at that time, the poor did not get invited to banquets in the first place. The maim usually wouldn't have gotten married. The blind would not have been able to look at fields. And the lame would not have had the opportunity to drive oxen. In fact, these people were generally considered to be cursed by God and unworthy of his favor. When we hear that man near Jesus say, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. He imagines that people like himself will be there. But people like the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, he likely imagines that they won't. One Jewish religious document from this time describes the Messianic banquet as a gathering of all perfect, righteous Jews. But those who were unrighteous and those who had imperfections were thought to be excluded. No one was allowed in who was, and I quote here, smitten in his flesh or paralyzed in his feet or hands or lame or blind or deaf or mute or smitten in his flesh with a visible blemish. End quote. Perhaps here we might be inclined to say something like, shame on those self-righteous Jews. We often see something similar around us in our own culture. We might not assume that people with disabilities are cursed by God. But we're often told, or it's implied, that their lives aren't worth living. Here I'm thinking about the fact that we live in a culture in which parents often feel pressured, or sometimes are pressured, to abort their children. If there's any hint of physical or mental disability. Now the central point of the parable is not to be considerate to those who have disabilities. But there is a reminder here to be loving towards all those around us. To see people as God sees them. And not in accordance with the standards of our world. Jesus had just told his audience, but when you give in a feast, 
Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And he's reinforcing that message with this parable. What's basically going on here is that God is extending his grace to those in Israel that the perfect, pious Jews in his audience had rejected and scorned. Jesus, as the true master of the banquet which awaits us in the next life, is warning those self-appointed religious elite that those that they have looked down upon will be the true blessed ones who eat in the kingdom of God. Well, they will remain outside of it. Our Savior did not die for those who think that they are righteous on account of their actions or their deeds or the fact that they may have experienced God's blessing in abundance in this life. No, righteousness, true righteousness, can only be found in our Lord and Savior. Great suffering or disability in this life does not indicate what awaits us. Those who are blessed with perfect health and great finances cannot assume that therefore God is pleased with how they live. And those forced to live in poverty and who daily experience the weaknesses of the flesh cannot assume that God is therefore angry with them or displeased with them. No, beloved, we are called at all times to look to Jesus Christ. To ask for the Holy Spirit to work within us. We are to remember that if we want to attend that banquet, we need to look to the one who will be hosting the banquet and live with the daily recognition that we could only attend that banquet on account of all that he has done for us. This brings us to our third point about invitation sent. The poor and the disabled appear to accept the master's invitation readily. The servant in the parable must report to his master, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And so the master says to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. The highways were the roads traveled by all peoples by merchants and travelers from every nation and background. The hedges point towards the borders which people set up, the, the boundaries often used to keep outsiders off of one's property. And so basically, this servant is told to bring in anyone he can, regardless of their status or their nationality. And here we might say it points towards Jesus Christ sending his disciples to bring the Gentiles into his kingdom, to bring people from all tribes and nations into his kingdom. After all, Christ would not stand to rule over an empty kingdom or a barren paradise. He will be king over people from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. With these words, Jesus is pointing us back once again to Isaiah 25 where it says, And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, and so forth. 
You see, the Jews at that time, they accepted the idea of a messianic banquet. They look forward to it. But they like to overlook the presence of the Gentiles, the idea that non-Jews might also be there. They basically ignored the fact that the Lord wanted all peoples at his feast. Another ancient Jewish text from this time, one supposedly written by Enoch, but actually written much later during the intertestamental period. It prophesied that the Gentiles would be excluded by the Son of Man from his great supper. You see, unfortunately, God's people at this time had lost much of their drive to be a light to the nations. It was true that they still believed that they had a role to play. At the very least, you might say that they did at times accept those Gentiles who wanted to become Jews or to worship their God. But especially among the religious elite, the lawyers and the Pharisees, the the overall attitude was one of dismissal. Who needs those Gentiles? We are God's people. We are all that he needs. And here Jesus teaches them that he wants far more at his banquet. He wants people of every nation and tribe and language. The master wants them so badly at his banquet that he commands his servant to compel them to come in. Now, tragically, this text has been used in the past to try and justify things like forced conversions, that is, forcing people to become Christians at the point of a sword or with the threat of violence. But it's important to note that within a a Middle Eastern context, within the background or the place Jesus is speaking, it does not point towards a use of force so much as a need to convince and persuade. See, according to a Middle Eastern custom, an unexpected invitation initially ought to be refused. And one would only accept an invitation if the host was insistent. And so the the servant in the parable is not being told to go out with a sword and threaten people and make them attend the banquet. But he is to do his best to convince them that they are wanted by the host. He is to be emphatic and persuasive and try as best he can to bring those people to the banquet. You might say it's a reminder to us today that our attitude towards outsiders should not simply be The doors are open. They can come in if they want to. No, we should also be asking for the help of the Holy Spirit in reaching out. We ought to also be putting effort into trying to convince people and persuade them that we really want them to join us here in worshiping God. That we truly believe that our faith will be a benefit to them. That it's not something simply for us, but is extended to them as well. Now the master's command in the parable is something which doesn't seem to get fully carried out. It's something that's commanded, but then the parable ends before we hear any results. And in the way you would say this parable then matches the point where Jesus is at in his ministry. Because he has not yet sent his disciples to the Gentiles, to the nations. But that is coming. And for us, it has come. 
because Jesus has issued to us his great commission to bring in disciples of all nations. Our text concludes with a stern warning. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now it's interesting to note that this warning doesn't really seem to be part of the parable itself. The the you who are being addressed is actually in the plural. And so it doesn't seem to be something that the master is simply saying to his servant. No, with this warning, it appears that Jesus is addressing those men who are reclining on couches around him in the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. By stating, my supper, Jesus identifies himself with the the host or the master in the parable. Now whether or not the, the guests around the table clearly caught on to what Jesus was saying isn't clear. We're never told their reaction. But we do see this parable play out in the life and ministry of Christ. We see that following the death and resurrection of our Lord, the time arrived for the nations to be brought in to God's kingdom, that they might share in his great banquet. And we now live at a time when there are many who have not responded to the invitation of the gospel. And we might ask ourselves, have we done everything possible to convince them to join us in worship? We might ask ourselves, have I seriously and thoughtfully responded to the invitation which God has extended to me? We might think here especially of baptism, which points to all the promises which God makes to his people. But it also points to our obligation to love him in response for all that he has done for us. It's easy to make excuses. To say that we really need to focus on some other things right now. We can find a million reasons why not to prioritize the the things of God. But if we're honest, I think we already know that our excuses are weak. And nothing deserves more priority in our lives. For we have no higher calling than to recognize the grace and mercy which God has extended to us inviting us to rejoice with him in eternity. Amen.